going to be looking at John 3.16, maybe the most famous of all the Bible verses in Scripture. My guess is many of you have memorized that verse a long time, of go, a long time ago. But as we look at it today, um, we're going to be looking at the bigger idea of the love of God. What's the love of God look like? How do you define the love of God? Now, before we get to John 3.16, I have to remind you, families at first is back, as Ernie said. And this week, Kent Hickerson's going to be teaching in the Fellowship Hall. I know many of you love Kent very much. You need to come out at 6.30 on Wednesday night, show him a lot of love and support. He'll be teaching from John chapter 21. That's a rich, rich chapter. Peter is reinstated. Uh, then he kind of gets his uh, marching orders from Jesus, uh, feed my lambs. You'll want to come out Wednesday night and support Kent as he teaches. Also want to remind you that the men's retreat at Little Galilee is October 21 and 22, and FCC will pay half of the $30 registration fee for anyone that wants to attend that, as long as you're a man. Sorry, ladies. There is a ladies' retreat as well this fall. Four different people are speaking at the men's retreat. I'm going to be able to bring the final message about 1 o'clock on Saturday. I hope to have a huge group from First Christian Church attend. We're in the midst of NT75, 75 days through the New Testament. And we're about to put the book of John in the wraps to wrap it up. Uh, We've got a couple days left reading through the book of John. And this week we will transition into the book of Acts. It's been really cool reading one gospel after another, after another, after another. Been very, very helpful for me personally. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you have not plugged in yet, it's not too late. You can get a yellow reading plan at the Welcome Center or you can find it online. And I just encourage you just to join us. Today is day 21. We're reading through John chapters 10 through 12. Pick it up right there and join us as we journey through the New Testament together. One final announcement that's not going to be up on the screen. And uh, this individual probably won't be very happy with me that I'm uh, announcing this, but I believe Friday was Dave Herzog's last day at Weldon Springs, if I am correct. After many, many, many years of service there, I love Weldon Springs. You love Weldon Springs. Dave Herzog's a big reason why. Will you give him some uh, appreciation this morning? Dave, thank you for all that you've done. Appreciate you so much. God bless you. Feel free to tell Dave personally how much you appreciate all his years of service. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. You can't go to a football game or a baseball game, if signs are allowed, without seeing someone hold up a sign that says John 3.16. I still remember, it's the first Bible verse that I memorized as a kid at First Christian Church in Champaign. And yet there is so much in this verse, this one single verse of Scripture, that shouldn't just impact our memory, i.e. a Bible verse, but it should impact how we live our lives as Christ followers. Many of us have memorized the verse, but maybe we don't really understand why Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
Maybe we don't understand the context. Maybe we don't understand the picture that the Apostle John is painting. And so this morning, for just a couple minutes, I want to help us try to uncover what exactly was Jesus trying to communicate. A man by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus. And Nicodemus, we've thrown that name out a lot. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was in love with God. He wanted to know more about following after God. As a Pharisee, he understood the many legal ramifications that played out for first century Jews. You may say, what kind of ramifications? The Ten Commandments that were given in Exodus 20 and restated in Deuteronomy 5, the legalism had grown so much that it was well over 600 commandments. 600 things you had to keep straight if you were going to be right with God by the time Jesus came. And walked on the earth. In John chapter 3, we see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And while that's just a simple phrase in the passage of Scripture, we need to understand that John is telling us that Nicodemus is doing this in secret. Nicodemus is not going as a proud legal representative of the Pharisees, he's going undercover. He's going very quietly because he's heard about this Jesus. People are beginning to talk about this Jesus. And he has to find out more about who he is, what he's speaking about, what he's proclaiming, what he's preaching, and what kind of impact all of that should have, not just in his life, but in everyone's life. Jesus tells Nicodemus that unless you're born again, you can't be saved. You can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Remember Nicodemus' question? We laugh at it today. What was his question? How can someone who is old be born again? It didn't make sense to him, and it begins a relationship that will change Nicodemus' life forever. One other thing that I, I need to just from an integrity standpoint, let you know about Pharisees, some of you may know this, is that all throughout the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is a conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. In fact, as I was reading this morning in John chapter 11, as Lazarus is raised from the dead, you see this huge battle taking place where the Pharisees are saying, we have to act. This is getting out of control. His following is building and more and more people are starting to follow after him. We have to do something and we have to do something now. So this story of Nicodemus, this this scripture verse that so many of us have memorized, it takes place in the most humble of circumstances, a conversation at night, maybe over a nice cup of decaf, we don't know. But in this simple verse, we see three truths that help us understand what God and his love is really all about. Number one is this. See in John 3.16 that God's love is a universal kind of love. God so loved the world. Now let me ask you this. In the Old Testament, did you, as you were reading through the Old Testament, many of you this last winter, did you not catch the tension between God's people and other people? There really was a them 
and us mentality in many ways. God's people were set apart. God's people were called to be different. The covenant of circumcision. The fact that God's people, the Jews, they couldn't just eat anything that they wanted to. Read Leviticus chapter 11. Mark that down. Leviticus chapter 11 sometime. If you think you have a hard time figuring out what you're going to fix for Sunday lunch, imagine being a Jew in the Old Testament times trying to figure out what can we eat and what can we not eat. There was definitely a divide. It was them against us. We are God's people. Everyone else is against us in many ways. And Jesus comes around and Jesus said, for God so loved, not the Jews, for God so loved, not some, but God so loved the world. You may be saying, why are we going to the Old Testament when we're going through the New Testament? Why are we considering the history of this them against us mentality when in the New Testament there's a new covenant that's being put into place? Here's why. Because I think many of us that live in America, the greatest country on the face of the earth, whether we realize it or not, whether we would ever have the courage to verbalize it or not, we have developed a similar theology in in our hearts. Now, don't take this wrong. I love our country. I love when the Olympics take place and an American athlete does something. What do we do? USA. I I love that. I, I can't wait for the Olympics to come around next summer. But understand, first and foremost, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. I have been so blessed in my life from the time I was a little kid all the way up to being a big kid at 42 to encounter Christ followers from literally all around the world. Literally all the different parts of our country. And it reinforces to me Over and over and over again, God so loved the world. My theology has to be bigger than 61727. Your theology has to be bigger than 61727. I I spent some time this week with a, a good ministry friend. And he has been in the same local church ministry for over 17 years. That, that's incredible. Now around here, that, that's just commonplace with Kent and Ernie and Winston Zastro and others. But just to let you know, most places, that doesn't happen. Most places, ministries are in the three to four to five to six year range. And then the minister's moving on and the church is moving on. This minister said that when he came in 1994 to his church, he felt that God was calling him to implant a global ministry, a global mission worldview in their church. And he said it's taken 17 years for it to finally take off. He said just this last eight months, the church is becoming excited about ministry opportunities in places like Kenya, in places like Cuba, And you know, I thought to myself as I was reflecting on that, that's great. God's timing is perfect. Um, They're going to do some great things in the name of the Lord at at First Christian Church, this church that I spent some time with this week. But I thought to myself, how many of us are guilty just like that church was for many, many, many years of really being locked into where we are today, the comfort level that we have here in Clinton, Illinois. God so loved the world. That's why I love the fact that 13.5% of the 
of, of our budget, our general fund budget, the ministry action plan goes to missions. That's why it was so cool Wednesday night at Families at First to be able to take up an offer and give almost $600, kind of spur of the moment, to Barbo Donahue and the Cope Mission. That's why I'm so excited that we're sending a team of 19 in just two weeks to go to Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. 19 from our church are going to minister in the name of the Lord. Understand, God has a passion for Americans that are lost. God has a passion for Haitians that are lost and Kenyans that are lost and Cubans that are lost. God so loved the world. When I go to Lincoln Christian College, one of the things that, and I don't go there very often anymore, but when I go into their chapel and I just look up, it's a huge, huge building, you look up, they have a variety of different flags that fly there. And those flags represent all the different countries in the world where a LCU, an LCU alum is serving in missions or where a student from that country has come to Lincoln to study. And I'm reminded every time I see it, the kingdom of God is bigger than 61727. It's bigger than 62656. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. And our call is to make a difference in Clinton, but to make a difference literally all across the world. Now, when you see God so loved the world and God's love is universal, there's a word that's kind of, it sounds a lot like that but it's radically different. Don't buy the idea of what we would call universalism. We talked about that a couple weeks ago as we were looking at the Christian Atheist series. We looked at some false faiths that are out there. Universalism is the idea that because God is love, everyone's going to be saved. That just because God is an awesome God, it doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower or not, we're all going to heaven. That's not true. That's not a biblical concept. God's love is not universalism, but God has a passion for all people everywhere. Karl Barth, maybe the greatest theologian of the 20th century, on his deathbed was asked, what's the greatest theological truth you've ever heard? And here's what he said. You'll recognize it. Jesus loves me. This I know, for my Bible tells me so. God's love is universal. Now, there's a second aspect of God's love. That is just as important this morning for you to comprehend. And here it is. God's love is also sacrificial. God's love is sacrificial. In the Old Testament, many of you know this. In the Old Testament, when a sin was committed, blood had to be shed to cover that sin. Part two, God's love is sacrificial. And in the Old Testament, when a sin took place, Blood had to be shed. And sometimes it might be a ram, it might be a goat, it might be a lamb. But actually, in their place of worship, there was kind of an inner, inner, um, part, inner room of, the, of the, the place of worship. And the priest would be in there, and there'd be a table probably kind of like this. And you wouldn't have like this nice little goblet here and maybe some candles here. What you'd do is you'd bring in your goat or your ram or your lamb, and you'd be like, I'm a sinner, I fell short. You know, I started cussing when Northwestern scored that touchdown at the end of the game. And I thought they were going to lose and I need forgiveness. And the, the priest would be okay. And they'd take that goat and they'd put it on that table. And they'd get out a big old knife, like a machete type thing. And they'd go to town. The PETA folks would be really unhappy just with how it unfolded. But blood had to be shed to cover the sins that took place. 
Can you imagine if when I was shaking your hands after church, I had blood splattered all over my suit, speckles of blood on my face and my hair? Would you be eager to grab my hand and say, nice homily this morning? Probably not, right? But that was the world in which they lived. Blood had to be shed to cover the sins. Jesus comes along, and Jesus Christ becomes that one-time-for-all-time sacrifice so that when we come to church, we can have a beautiful sanctuary, and we can have organs and pianos, and we can have nice goblets and fake bread and big Bibles here, and we don't have to get big knives and kill animals because Jesus Christ became that one-time-for-all-time sacrifice. One-time-for-all-time sacrifice. Living on the other side of history, I don't think we can really comprehend how awesome, how incredible that is. Years ago, an excavation foreman by the name of Edward Leonard was held captive by rebels in Colombia. This was in 1998, and they were demanding a ransom of $500,000 for his release. Now, that's not chump change. $500,000 is a lot of money. One day in the midst of this struggle, it went on for over 100 days, the owner of the company, a man by the name of Norbert Reinhardt, showed up, and even though he had never even heard of this Edward Leonard that worked for his company, never even heard of him before this incident took place, he showed up and he traded places with his foreman. He said to the rebels, I'm not going to give you $500,000, but if you let him go, I will come in. And he was held captive for quite some time. When this was all said and done, his company ended up paying $2 million in ransom. Well, after the ordeal was over and Reinhardt was, uh, was safely returned, he was asked, why did you do this? And he couldn't speak. He was too emotional. So his wife spoke up and said, Norbert was convicted to get Ed out of there, and the only way to accomplish that was to trade places with him. Now, that's a great story. He could have very well died. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't send his son. He didn't send his daughter on a death march. And yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ did because God the Father said, go. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Um, I love Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 is one of the rich verses of Scripture in the Bible. That is a, a verse to memorize. And it says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ died for me. God's love is universal for God so loved the world. God's love is sacrificial that he gave his one and only son. There's a third aspect of this love of God that I want you to see this morning. Not only is God's love universal, not only is God's love sacrificial, but maybe most important for us today, God's love is available. How's that verse in? God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I am just so glad 
that God didn't say that it's available for the pretty people or for the tall people or for the athletic people or for the smart people or for the American people. I am so glad that it says that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. The Bible's really clear. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but understand, sin has created just a huge problem for us, for mankind. Sin, it's just an enormous issue for us. Three scriptures from the book of Romans that drive home the same point. Sin is devastating. Everyone sinned, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. There's not anyone that's righteous, not even one, Paul says in Romans 3.10. And then in Romans 6, 23, he says the wages, the cost, the price of sin is death. Sin is awful. Sin is terrible. And and really, this passage of Scripture tells us we have two options. Those of us who fit in that whoever, whosoever category, that's everybody. We have two options. We can repent or we can perish. We can be Christ followers or we can live a life with no hope at all. But understand this morning, God's plan of salvation, it's ready and it's available. That's the best news of the morning, that God's plan of salvation is available and it's ready. As I was walking to the Illinois football game yesterday, I was running late. Um, I'd had like a two-and-a-half-hour elders meeting. Those, those are uh, always fun. And I was on my way, and uh, all of a sudden, this guy just like appeared. There were like a thousand people walking toward the stadium. And this guy's like right in front of me, and he's handing me something. And I figured it would be like a credit card application, or maybe he needed a gas card, or so, something along those lines, okay? And you know what it was? It was a track. It was a track telling me the good news of Jesus Christ. And I looked at it and just, you know, said, God bless you, brother, and, and, and walked on my way. But understand, God's plan of salvation is ready and available. And while that may be way outside your comfort zone, I don't know, we can't tell this story enough. That's why we give you things like the Roman road. That's why at our Welcome Center right now, you could get the A, B, C, D to Jesus by Bob Russell. Because I don't want you just to intellectually know God's plan of salvation. I want you to be able to share it. Now let me be clear at 9.02 this morning. If you're not a Christ follower, man, I passionately encourage, invite, implore you to give your life to Jesus. There's no more important decision that you'll ever make. It's more important than who you'll marry. It's more important than what house you'll buy. It's more important than the car you'll drive. It's more important than the job that you'll accept, whether or not Jesus is Lord of your life. But I realize that this morning, well, we probably have 300 people in the sanctuary right now. More than likely, most of us are Christ followers. More than likely, most of us have said, I follow you. So so here's my challenge for you today. Realize God may very well be calling you to take this simple truth of God's word, the love of God in three words, that it's universal, that it's sacrificial, that it's available, and to share that good news with someone else. 
If you're reading through the Gospel of John and you get through today's reading, you'll notice that several times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes statements about himself, and he doesn't say things like, I'm the greatest quarterback. He doesn't say things like, I'm the greatest carpenter. He doesn't say things like, um, I'm the greatest intellectual in the world. He says things like, I am the bread of life in John 6. Or, I am the light of the world in John 8 and 9. Or, I am the good shepherd in John 10. Or, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. Or, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. The last I am statement that he shares is in John 15. And it's the only I am statement that includes you and me, disciples, Christ followers. In John 15, he says, I am the vine. And how does he conclude it? Do you remember? You are the branches. I am the vine. You are the branches. Don't don't forget that this isn't just a calling where I can sit on the sidelines or you can sit on the sidelines. There's a book that's making its way through Christian church circles. I love the title. It says, Not a Fan. Some of you are reading that book. We're not called to be fans of Jesus Christ. Spectators who cheer. We're called to be Christ followers. That is our calling. So this morning, right now, where you're at, I hope that you'll start to visualize in your mind maybe one person that that you can begin to befriend, maybe invite to church, maybe invite to families at first, maybe invite to the men's retreat at Little Galilee. One person that you can begin to build a bridge with so that when they say, why is your life different? Why do you do what you do? Why do you behave like you behave? You can say, because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. I'm a whosoever. You're a whosoever. Bottom line is this. God's gift of grace is available for you today. And if you've received that gift won't you share it? Second Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That shows God's universal, sacrificial, and available love. Do you know how the Nicodemus story ended? You know, Nicodemus is only mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus at night and says, what do you mean I need to be born again? How do you do that? I don't get it. I'm smart, but I'm not that smart. And then we don't really see or hear from Nicodemus for a while until the very end of John chapter 7. At the very end of John chapter 7, there's kind of this battle going on between the Pharisees and Jesus. And the leadership, the, the, the really impressive leaders of the Jewish world, they're just blasting Jesus. They're saying some really mean things to him. And Jesus is kind of like, you know, bring it. I, I, I will tell you who I am. And in the midst of that, a discussion takes place where Jesus is not around. And we see one of their own, one Pharisee, stand up and begin to defend Jesus. Guess who it is? It's this Nicodemus. Do you know the last place that Nicodemus is mentioned in the Gospel of John? 
It's all the way at the end. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. And we see Nicodemus appear a third time at the end of chapter 19. See, chapter 19 is the chapter where John shows us what took place when Jesus went to the cross. And when they nailed him to the cross. And when he died on the cross for you and for me. And when it came time to bury him, Peter wasn't around. James and John, they weren't around. All the other disciples had fled. And it was two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, that stepped up and took the body of Jesus, probably had to pay to take the body of Jesus, and gave him a legitimate burial. My guess is there were people that day, this isn't in the scripture, this is just my speculation. My guess is there were people that day that said, Nicodemus, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? He's dead. He's lost. Your team has won. And you're putting your own good name, you're putting your own religious status at risk by claiming the body and burying the body. Why are you doing it? What are you doing? And maybe, just maybe, Nicodemus looked at those scoffers and said, I'll tell you why. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for your word. Thank you for a very easy to memorize verse of scripture that is so powerful when it comes to our understanding of who you are and what your love is like. I love to read the story of Nicodemus because I'm reminded that in Clinton, Illinois, there's a whole bunch of Nicodemuses. People in my life right now that want to know about Jesus, want to know about the things of Christianity, but they're not Christ followers. They're not there today. And so this morning, Father, I pray that as we wrap this service up, that we will begin to visualize just what we can do as Christ followers to be your ambassadors, to be your messengers, to be a beacon of light in a world that's too dark. Thank you for Jesus and the hope he brings us. But thank you for people like Nicodemus who make us remember that you don't have to be a megachurch pastor to change our world for you. Help us to have that spirit. Help us to have that drive to know more, to love more, to share more. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the great part about God's love is available for each and every, Greg said during his sermon, that that love is available for those in Clinton, Illinois, but that love is available for those across the world as well.
But the other part that that comes into play is that we have to accept that love. We have to simply say, I'm a sinner, and God loves me, and he forgives me. And so if you've not made that confession, this invitation is for you as we stand together and sing. The love of God is greater far than tongue.